Davis. Her season's going to end on a double doink. One. Unbelievable. Attention listeners, are you ready to be blown away? You asked for it and they listen. Our friends at Manscaped just relaunched the ultra smooth package. It's back, baby. Your new favorite tool and compliments a lawnmower 4.0 to keep your boys smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots of the discount for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping using code DOINK. The legends who introduced the electric ball hair trimmer are bringing back the razor so you can set so you can be set and trimmed from front to back. Men, you no longer have to bore your lady's razor for that precise trim. Step one, grab your handy-dandy lawnmower 4.0 and give your boys a classic trim to your liking to get the loose hairs out of the way and then take out the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package to make your package the perfect package this summer. The, crop, the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on around your groin feeling refreshed. The crop exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. The crop gel, see what, see where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. With four essential oils, it's like a spa treatment every time you shave. And now it's time to shave the crop shaver. Was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping. You can go doink at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. Use the code DOINK at manscaped.com. We also want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Not everyone is someone they can lean on and talk to. That's where BetterHelp comes in. With BetterHelp, you have access to over 20,000 professional licensed therapists. It's not a crisis time. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own professional licensed therapist. If you ever search for a counselor in the area, you know it can take weeks or even months just to get a phone call back. With BetterHelp, you can start communicating as little as 48 hours. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. You deserve you deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. So get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash double doing podcast. We want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Today's episode is also sponsored by Coolbet. Coolbet is the most cheering sprint gaming company in the world. Coolbet also provides the best odds in Canada with world-class customer service. For first-time users, use the buzz go doink, D-O-N-K, doink, for a 100% welcome bonus of the $200 when signing up with Coolbet. That's code doink, and Coolbet will match your first deposit up to $200. Give our friends at Coolbet Canada. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coolbet Canada. Coolbet, stay cool and bet responsibly. And welcome back to another episode of the Double Dwight Podcast. My name is Brendan Deke. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. It would be greatly appreciated. You can also rate the podcast and review the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It would also be greatly appreciated. We are talking strictly Seattle Seahawks football today. And I have a very special guest. I have Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic who covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. Michael, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. How about you? 
I'm doing well. Cannot complain at all. So before we kind of get started here, I do want to kind of start with you yourself. Um, why don't you kind of just tell the listeners and me, I guess, as well. Um, how did you got how you got to where you are today? How did you become a beat writer for the athletic for the Seattle Seahawks? Kind of walk me across your journey here. Uh, well, in college, I worked for the student newspaper at Washington State. Um, it was called the Daily Evergreen. Started off covering swimming uh, for, the, for the student paper. That was my first ever beat. Uh, moved on up uh, to the ranks. Eventually, I was the sports editor for like a year or two semesters is how they kind of look at it there. I think I may have edited one summer session uh, as well. Graduated and got a job at the Moscow Pullman Daily News as a page designer uh, a, a nightly page designer and I was writing for this like arts and entertainment magazine that they had like within the oh. paper uh, called Inland 360 uh, and it wasn't sports oh, at all if you notice. What, I didn't notice yeah, what kind of content was that? Oh it was stuff not in my wheelhouse at all really it was like if a poet if a poet was in town at one of the the, the local coffee shops um, and I had to like do the uh, the advance or attend the thing and write the story about them. There's a lot of musicians that come through um, Northern Idaho, Lewiston uh, area. I was doing yeah features on just nothing sports. Like I said, just arts and entertainment, poets, musicians, uh, yeah, a lot of bands. I only did the job for like three, four months uh, before I got promoted to sports editor uh, of that paper. And I was covering, I was a sports editor and covering high school sports. I think I had about 10 schools. I was, um, no, I had about six high schools I was responsible for and the University of Idaho athletics. Um, so uh, Idaho football, Idaho basketball, men's and women's track, soccer, all that stuff. And then I had a partner uh, slash subordinate who did all the Washington State stuff and about three, four high schools on the border of uh, Washington. Because Idaho and Washington are real close to each other, like Washington State and University of Idaho, about eight miles Okay. They're so close that I actually lived in in Pullman, Washington, while working in Moscow, Idaho. Like they're that close, like eight eight nine miles to work. Um, so I think I started as the sports editor at the uh, D News in 2014. I want to say October 2014. Did that job to about to about April 2017 before I got hired at the SeattlePI.com to cover the Seahawks. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the PI still going. Yeah, it used to be like the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and it just kind of shrunken size over the over the years as most uh publications have you know asking more fewer people to do more work um is kind of how the business has gone and i did that for about a year uh that wasn't a travel gig but that was just my jump to the nfl um straight from covering idaho which was which was a big jump idaho and eight-man football that was the thing i'd like to tell people um i see a lot of a lot of kids now i can call them kids because i turned 30 in july um a lot of kids now will jump straight from like covering their college school to like then covering college or then covering straight to the pros or the NBA or the MLB. And it's like, man, I wish everyone got their hands dirty like I did covering mm-hmm. eight man football, you know, mushed into some press box, you know, in the middle of nowhere where there is no service. You got to drive 30 minutes just to have a place to file. Mm-hmm. Um, like I cover, yeah, eight man football is a, is a different animal. It ain't like covering high school football in Texas. Nothing glamorous about it. Keeping your own stats. Ain't no press box. Um, might not even be parking really there. You just on the gravel <laughs> next to the parents. Uh, I covered volleyball, wrestling, high school swimming, yeah. everything small, small town. Um, I cover. I'm pretty sure I should go back and look. I'm pretty sure I covered an eight man football game with uh, Leighton Vanderesh in it. Interesting. Um, he's okay. he's from a town uh, called uh, Salmon River. It's a really small town, like 
classic small town Idaho joint. I'm talking like one sheriff, one bar, no stoplights, you know. <laughs> and if you're driving from uh, northern Idaho down to southern Idaho, where like Boise is, Salmon River is where the time changes because um, the bottom half of Idaho is mountain, top Pacific. That's kind of how I remember where that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, where Layton's from? Because it's really small. He's got to be the richest dude from that town ever. Uh, <laughs> the minute the minute he signed his first first contract, but like yeah. that's how I covered small town stuff like him. I think I covered the state title game he was in. Uh, but anyway, and then I did the PI job for a year covering the Seahawks. The first year they missed the playoffs in the Russ era in 2017, the Legion of Boom kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the Athletic came around to Seattle, they had already started on the Mariners um, about March 2018. They already had Seattle Sounders guys. His name was Matt. Shout out to the homie Matt. And then um, they needed to start like they needed to expand. So they hired my man Steve Cohen, who used to work with me at the PI. He's actually I replaced Steve at the PI. Okay. Um, like that's how I got the job. Steve moved into like news slash general assignment stuff, and then they hired me to be the new sports guy. Steve stayed on with me for a year. Then Steve Steve bounced to go cover the athletic, and it wanted, that was at the time when the athletic had like city site managers. You know what I mean? Like, all right, you're in charge of the New York site, D- Dave. Dave, mm-hmm. hire me a Jets guy, hire me a Giants guy, hire me a Yankees, Mets, whatever. So for Steve, it was like, hey, you run Seattle. Give me a Huskies guy. I need a Seahawks guy. And I need, um, I'm missing something, maybe Storm. I can't remember. But it was mm-hmm. like, hey, get, get your staff together on some Avengers type yeah. of shit. You know, so uh, <laughs> he he uh, he was like, all right, I know this guy named Mike. He covers the Seahawks. Like, let's, let's bring him on. And that was in May 2018. And cool. boom. Here I am. There you go, man. That's that's an awesome journey. Um, did you uh did you grow up a Seahawks fan? Uh, I grew up in Seattle. I'm from here, but I wasn't like diehard Seahawks. Like I wasn't. I was more Sonics. I'll put it that way. Okay. I grew up playing basketball. I've never played football uh, before. I don't even know how to put pads on. Um, but like I love the game, and I'm around it a lot. I play flag football mm-hmm. on the weekends. Um, mm-hmm. but I grew up more Sonics. Uh, my dad was a big basketball guy. Um, he went to a powerhouse. Um high school uh, out here in Seattle, Rainier Beach High School, same high school as um, Nate Robinson, Jamal Crawford, DeJounte Murray, um, Kevin cool. Porter Jr., Terrence Williams, tons of NBA guys that come from that school. That's where my dad went. So it was big Sonics guys. He has, still has a Kevin Durant bobblehead uh, in his house from Kevin's uh, rookie year here in mm-hmm. Seattle. So I was always aware of the team, but I didn't go to my first Seahawks game until 2000, 2011. Went to the Bengals-Seahawks game. That was, yeah. Uh, I think the Bengals won. It's like Andy Dalton's rookie year, Richard Sherman's rookie year. Uh, before that, I had never even attend- attended a game uh, as a fan. So, uh, but I'm always paying attention. Even when I was in college, you know, I'm watching the Legion of Boom era, you know, because I was, I think I was a junior in college when they won the Super Bowl. So I'm always paying attention. You know, I, I drove over uh, to catch the parade for Super Bowl 49, like if they had won. Um, and that was a waste of a drive from college, obviously, because of Malcolm Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. But so, uh, not like rah rah root for them. I've never owned any Seahawks gear growing up. Um, I think I got like a beanie now that my grandma gave me for Christmas a few years ago. But yeah, Sonic Sonics was my bag, so I can't wait till uh, we can get them back. They need a team back, man. It was uh, it was kind of it kind of was a disgrace that they even left there. I, I don't really I never understood it. Um, but yeah, if you're listening to this, Adam Silver, get that get the ball rolling here. Are there, is there is, is, I I don't know this. Is there already a team set up to come back? Are they already in the talks? I, I think when I was in college, we were about to snatch the Kings, I mm-hmm. think, from Sacramento. But I think the mayor stepped in and got the funds they needed. Um, the mayor used to play there. Uh, Kevin something, I think. He basically made it happen, though. And the King, the King stayed. I think our next path to a team is expansion. 
uh, us in yeah. Vegas getting teams at the same time is very similar to an NHL. I think the yeah. same path will, will be mapped out there. Adam Silver said recently uh, that he doesn't see expansion um, coming anytime soon. So that stinks. But I think that's our path. I don't think the Board of Governors really want to have a situation like we had where a team gets stolen. Because some teams have been up for sale recently. The Blazers are about to get sold. The Pelicans have been sold in the last like 10 years or something like that. I think uh, mm-hmm. the Hawks have a new, new-ish owner in the last decade or so. So there's teams on the market, but I just don't think that they want relocation again because uh, it's just – you see how bad we feel up here in Seattle. We're just longing for – you know, yeah. an NBA team. I don't want to say we don't have basketball because the Storm have won four titles. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. like act like they don't exist. We want NBA specifically though to yep. to to complement that. So yeah, it's that's not on the horizon, but I'm I got my fingers crossed for it. Okay, let's jump into some Seahawks talk right here. Um, let's let's kind of t- uh, jump back a little bit and go back to the draft. Like the Seahawks kind of had an interesting draft. What do you make of kind of the haul that they got? Uh, I thought they had good process there, which is the only thing you can really judge. You know, I'm not going to lie. I don't watch a ton of college football on Saturdays. I watch Washington State. I watch the Pac-12. And then I'm traveling on Saturdays usually for Seahawks games. So mm-hmm. I've got a ton of time to just watch Big Ten football right at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I just don't care enough. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, based on everything I've researched in the time between the end of the season and the draft, I thought, I like the Charles Cross pick. You know, I like the Boye yeah. Mafe pick. I wasn't a big fan of where they took Kenneth Walker, but I do like Kenneth Walker. I feel like that distinction uh, needs to be made. I love the Abe Lucas pick. You know, go Cougs. Abe's uh, Washington State guy. Uh, I love the Kobe Bryant pick. I like the Tariq Woolen pick. I like the Tyreek Smith pick. Uh, edge rusher at Ohio State. Um, and then, like, Bo Melton and Derek Young, the two receivers that took in the seventh. I think Bo they're Melton's fine. My guy. Bo Melton was my guy yeah. going in the draft. I really like that one. I think I think between the three mock drafts I did, I think I mocked I did a mock before the rush trade, a mock after the rush trade, and then a mock the week of the draft. So it's three drafts, three mocks. I think I mocked five of their nine picks to them, maybe six. Yeah. Like I, the, me and the Seahawks were in lockstep um, there you go. in terms of three drafts evals. So I felt I felt good about that draft selfishly because like it may just prove me right and look like <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. It's great for my personal brand. Um, to mm-hmm. make it look like someone who doesn't even watch college football can just, oh, you should take this guy, this position, here's why. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I think in terms of year one contributors, you're probably only looking at Charles Cross being like a guy um, mm-hmm. with Kobe Bryant, I think, and and Kenneth Walker uh, possible as well. Um, if some injuries uh, get them in the lineup, which makes sense, football's got 100% injury rate. Uh, so overall, mm-hmm. the long term, I like the draft. Um, I like the value they got at certain spots other than, um, Kenneth, I think that was just a little high for a running back at it for a team that at the time still needed a right tackle corner, um, still needed a center, like still needed some pretty valuable positions to take a running back at 41. I think it was like a luxury that that specific team could not have afforded. Um, but we'll yep. see. he's still a great player, so it may not really matter at the end of the day. Uh, so yeah, I think their draft sets them up to, to be like really, really have a really good core in like a year or so, but. Maybe short term. I don't know how much impact that specific class will have. Yeah, the Kenneth Walker pick is interesting. Like he's such a such a great player, but again, at forty one, it might have been a little too high. But I was doing some kind of research just on like how good the Seahawks were last year and some just like analytic numbers. Like they were really efficient running the football. They were second in EPA per play per run. So like, why not kind of just do what you do well, right? Kind of double down on that. And like you said, injuries happen. Rashad Penny was given some was given um, a good chunk of changes offseason, but still, I do think that just adding young talent there is never the worst thing, especially when Pete Carroll is your head coach. They're obviously going to want to run the ball, and that transitions. You brought up the Russell Wilson trade, Mike. We got to go there. Um, I know you probably just been 
that's pretty much been your entire offseason talking about the Russell Wilson trade. But uh, what um, at what you know right now, would you make that trade again? Uh, no. Um, and not because I want to like force Russell Wilson to stay in a situation he wasn't necessarily happy in. Um, but at the same time, I would have forced Russell Wilson to stay in a situation he's not happy in because he's a quarterback, right? And these guys are hard to find, you know, especially the good ones. Not even the good ones necessarily, the consistent ones. That's really important, like an overlooked adjective I feel like we do not use enough with quarterbacks. It's not enough for you to just cook the bad teams and suck against the good teams or, like, have certain raw numbers that are really good. Like, I need to know what I'm going to get from you on a on a week-to-week basis and a year-to-year basis, like stability is really important. Like even for someone like Kirk Cousins, why he keeps getting this money is because you're, you know what you're going to get from Kirk. You're going to get X amount of touchdowns, X amount of checkdowns, X amount of deep balls, X amount of interceptions, like their stability, whether for better or worse, you just kind of know, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't like volatility in my quarterback. You know, that's why like someone like Jameis um, had to, he wasn't getting a starting job after the bucks. Cause it was like, yo dude, like we don't know if you're going to throw three touchdowns or three picks today or both. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't really uh, afford that. So like, I would, I wouldn't have pulled the trigger on the trade this year uh, for that reason. And then the second reason I wouldn't have done it is because if you're going to get rid of any player, this is kind of my philosophy on this, you get rid of any player. I want a direct path to a replacement from whether it be at the draft or free agency, or just, we have a backup in waiting. Sometimes it's a natural yep. uh, transition in that regard. Um, and they didn't have that. They didn't have any of those things. They didn't have a direct path in free agency. They didn't have a direct path in the draft. Um, they didn't have a direct uh, – they didn't have, you know, a guy in waiting. They didn't have any of that. They just got rid of the guy. They didn't even save any money doing it. I was actually thinking about that this morning before we hopped on. I was like, they netted like a million dollars in cap space by trading Russell. Mm-hmm. That's like it because uh, they took on Shelby Harris's contract. And he's like for like $7.5 for this year. Mm-hmm. Drew Locke's like another one point something. And then uh, Noah Fant is something similar. So the 11 million that you theoretically saved for Russ, you basically ate it on the three guys you got back. So you got you got you saved no money either getting rid of Russ. At least not this year. Uh, next year, obviously, you don't have a quarterback on the books, but then you don't have a quarterback. So you didn't save any money. You don't have a direct line to a a uh, a replacement, and you did it at the time when the quarterback class is purported to not be as strong as it will be next year. You know, Russ had two years on his deal, not one. So you could easily have just played it out. He wasn't going to hold out. I know that for a fact. He wasn't going to do this Kyler Murray stuff where you, you don't report. He'd have been there at OTAs, mini camps, and if they didn't invent it, another thing that Russell needed to show up for, he would have shown up. Mm-hmm. Right? He would have shown up for everything, played well, put a smile on, thrown a lot of touchdowns. I'm very confident in that. So, yeah, I would have just traded him next March or whatever, February, um, taking a, a guy high in the draft. The price would have been about the same um, because uh, – the market is not necessarily controlled by how many teams are quarterback needy. It's how many teams Russ allows to bid on him. So the market will stay the same even a year from now, just because Russ yeah, controls it so much, you know, because you see a lot of people tell me, Mike, we wouldn't have got as much. It's like, well, no, you're, you're trading for a quarterback, right? Like Stafford had made like one pro bowl in his life and a team gave like two firsts um, for him. Russ has made nine of 10, <laughs> you know, he'll, and he's got a super bowl. Like teams will give you two firsts for him guys. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's all about how many teams Russ allows to bid on him. Like this year, I think Washington and Philly wanted to bid on him and Russ and his agent and uh, they shut it down. So, boom, so you suppress the market would have been the same situation next year. So if this year you can get two first and two two twos next year, you can get two first and two twos in my mind, especially if Russ plays better uh, in 2022, which I think he will. So that's all the reasons why I wouldn't. It's not just like I miss Russell or like he's great for business for my job, which he is just from a 
team building standpoint, I just think that they they pulled the trigger on that way too early. Um, and I think we're going to see how problematic that's going to prove to be in 2022. Yep. So I was actually on – I was on 97.1 The Fan in Cincinnati, Ohio, when the trade happened. And the question five minutes I got before was, do you think the Seahawks are going to trade Russell Wilson? And I said, there's no chance. Uh, live on air. Five minutes later, he got traded. I oh, like, man. On live video. It was brutal. Uh, I still think about it. It was, it was really funny. But, um, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't expect it to happen. Like I just – I thought – I, like all the comments that the Seahawks brass made, John Schneider, Pete Carroll, just it didn't seem like that's the way they were going. Um, and then it kind of just came out of the blue. You brought up the cap situation, which I think is really interesting with this team. Like I was looking at their books yesterday. Like if you look at their 2023 books, it's literally a clean slate. Like mm-hmm. they, can, they can cut Tyler Lockett. They can cut Jamal Adams. They can cut Gabe Jackson. Nwosu, they can cut. There's literally no one that they're locked into right now after uh, 2023, post-June 1st. Like, I'm assuming Charles Cross, I guess, like, yeah, they're their first round pick. But uh, besides him, it's very, it's very clean. And DK Metcalf, I'm assuming that contract's coming, which I wanted to ask you how close are the Seahawks to a DK Metcalf extension? Uh, I don't know if I can say how close or far away they are. I just think that the Seahawks are kind of just staying on schedule. They usually do these de- type of deals like around July 31st, um, whatever the last day of, of camp or last day before camp is usually maybe like in august i've just they've just done so many of them that i don't i don't even worry about uh what the fact that we haven't really heard anything like jamal adams Dwayne brown tyler lockett in 2017 justin Britt. oh no tyler was 2018 but yeah justin Britt, camp chancellor russell wilson bobby wagner i'm naming guys who all got deals in like august okay right? and that's just kind of their their schedule like hey we'll do the draft first handle that OTAs, mini camp, give everybody a break, go party for July, don't get arrested, um, show up to camp in shape, um, and uh, we'll, we'll pay the guys we need to pay. So I think that that's the, the same uh, schedule they're going to be on with DK. DK okay. situation is a little unique just because um, his agent reps like all of the good receivers. Um, Tori Dandy, uh, Dandy, I think it's the last name. He so, reps. So did he just do like the uh, – is that the A.J. Brown contract and all these big contracts? Yeah, yeah he's got uh, – if I remember off the top of my head, I think he's got Mike Williams, Hollywood, AJ, Debo, and DK. He's like this dude is going to money this offseason. Hey, good for him. He's definitely he's gonna, this offseason. He's going to buy like a private island <laughs> yeah. after all these, after all those deals hit. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. So he knows the market. You, you know, he knows like how the, the game goes. Like, hey, I just got my client AJ this. You know, my or if Debo gets paid first, like boom, how how that's going to go? He just so. Like he's he's in such control in such a unique way. I haven't really seen one guy other than maybe the year David Mulligetta at Athletes First got like all those safeties paid. It was like Landon Collins, Earl Thomas, I think Kevin Byard, uh, one more. Like he just got everybody paid at one time. Other than that, I really haven't seen one guy dominate any one position group in that way. So I think he'll get paid. Um, I think if they don't pay him at the end of the year or at the end of the training camp, like by week one, I, I don't really see him staying after that. Like, I think the time to lock up an extension is now because he's about to prove himself to be very valuable, even more so. Like, now he can say, look, look at these numbers I put up with Russ. Now, look at these numbers I put up without Russ. And the numbers are going to be pretty comparable, I think. I think he's going to put up a lot of uh, really good numbers. Uh, I think he's going to be really good in the red zone. Uh, I think he's just going to be nasty. So, And then his value is just going to go crazy. He'll only be 25 next March uh, when someone wants to give him the next mega deal. So, and I think by that point, he could bid himself out of Seattle, just like Frank Clark did in 2018 when they got traded to the Chiefs and got $100 million. 
So like right now, I'm not really too worried about it. Um, I think I think they'll get a deal done sometime in August. But if they don't, yeah, I, then I think it's time to, to worry if DK is playing out the final year of his deal. Okay, I want to zoom out a little bit here and kind of talk big picture with this team. So, look, I uh, I think if I was running the Seahawks last year, I think my direction would have been let's clean house and keep Wilson and build around him. Get rid of John Schneider, get rid of Pete Carroll. That would have been my, maybe my road to what should have happened. What about you? What would, would you have done this offseason? Would you have kept everybody? Would you – I get it sounds like you wouldn't have done the Russell Wilson trade. Like, what would have your kind of game plan been if, let's say, you were part of the Allen family ownership team um, that runs this franchise? Yeah, I would have – if I had to choose between the, the the front office and Russell, I probably would have would have chosen Russell just because uh, quarterbacks are a bit more uh, of a scarcity. Quality quarterbacks are just a bit more scarce than you know quality executives not to say that either is easy to find like it's hard to find good head coaches right it's hard to find good general managers i just think that if you're trying to split hairs it's even harder to find a quarterback Mm -hmm. right because like even just look at the population of the country like to find a good quarterback you need a dude ages you need to get first you need a a certain build he has to be like you scratch everyone who's like under 511 right from your population size right and then scratch everyone who's older than what 33 ish so you need a window of about 21 to 33 and you need him to be a certain height weight with a certain athleticism quite literally anybody can be a gm or an exec right so you're just working with a smaller population pool in general when you're just trying to find those guys it's a math thing in that regard um and you need him to be a man if he's a quarterback you can hire a woman to be your coach or an exec too much larger population uh that you're that you're, that you're pooling from there. So it's just harder to find a quarterback, not to mention the talent that they have to have. You got to have the guys coming out of school. You got to have a, a certain pick or the certain assets to move up. Like it's just hard to find a consistent quality quarterback. So if I got one and he's only like 33, well, then I'm going to just keep him and roll the dice on a new coach, you know, a new, a new general manager, maybe a new scouting staff. Um, you know, just, I, I would have hit the reset button there. Again, I don't want to say that those guys are easy to replace, but they're easier than finding another Russell. I've, I, I don't even think they would argue that, um, honestly, at least not uh, privately, maybe publicly they would. But, yeah, I, I probably would have done that. I would have kept Russell really invested in the O-line, man. I would have just been like, yo, we're going to have the best O-line in the biz. Like, that's that would have been my mandate. Like, I can – I would have said we can scrape together some some defense. Like, I would have been like, all right, we, maybe we if we got to cut some costs here, like, let's really try to get some cheap corners – or find some diamond and a rough edge rushes, but what we're not going to do is skim on the O-line. Like we're going to go in. I don't care if we're top three in O-line spending for the next 30, 30 years, man. Like we have to, we got to do it. That would have been my, my plan. Cause at the end of the day, you do know that Russ behind a functioning O-line is excellent. You just know it. And you know, if a good quarterback, an excellent quarterback behind a functioning O-line could take you where you want to go. Yep. You know, that's, that's just, that's just reality of, of the NFL football. Like your defense can eventually hold you back if they're a liability. But, like, if you have an elite offense, I think your defense only needs to be, like, average for you yep. to be, like, competent. But if you have a really bad O-line or a bad offense or just an average offense, then your defense needs to be, like, 2015 Broncos. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to to replicate that type of success. So that's the path I would have took. Yeah, like, I, I feel like Russell deserved the benefit of the doubt and deserved at least to show that he can win maybe another coach. Like, look, Pete Carroll, there's no denying the success the CLC Hawks have had over the last decade, like they've probably been the most successful when it comes to win loss um, in the NFL, right? Like they've been one of the or maybe top five successful franchises. It's just, I do feel like John Snyder just made kind of some 
had very had scratching calls and, and trades over the last few years. Like the Jamal Adams trade, he has completely come back and bit them in the butt. Um, you can argue like they haven't built as well enough in the draft. Like I think if you go back and look at their past like what, four or five draft classes, it's been pretty ugly. And I know it's hard to consistently draft in football. Like no, no team is really good at drafting. Like it's up and down. It's it's very unpredictable. So I just I would like to see Russell Wilson get get another shot with um with another coach. And I'm gonna ask you two more questions here. Kind this kind of transitions into the big one. I'm assuming this is basically going to be your entire offseason. This question. Who starts week one at quarterback for the Seahawks? So, like, I have a little bit of – I wouldn't say it's a bias, but, like, I, I, I co-host the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast with my homie Chris Kidd. We also do a radio show in Seattle on Saturdays, uh, The Hype with Chris and Mike. And so we've already got a wager. I got 100 on Gino. He's got 100 on Julak. Um, so, like, gotcha. I'm inclined to answer that question by saying <laughs> Gino. But I, the reason why I was willing to put, um, you know, my money on, on Gino is that I think his familiarity with the system is going to be just so huge. You know, the timing with the receivers, mm-hmm. um, knowing at least some of the O-linemen, knowing, you know, the tight ends, although Drew Locke knows no offense. So maybe that cancels out a little bit. But I just think that that chemistry there, that knowledge of the system, that knowledge of Shane Waldron, just they've just, they've just been in the trenches together, you know, mm-hmm. like and the situation like the situations drew. And, or excuse me, the situations Gino and Shane Waldron were in, because I think that relationship was really important, OC and, and quarterback. The situations they were in last year were like, that was some really good experience, for better or worse. Like, as soon as Gino comes in, it's like, okay, you're playing the, one of the best defenses in football. Rush just broke his finger. We're down nine. We have to go 98 yards here to score, because he got it on, like, the two for his first drive in, I don't know, since 2017. Mm-hmm. But, hey, bro, figure it out. They let a touchdown drive. Yeah, he played great. I still remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like they got that experience, you know, and then um, then that was more like a regular drive. And then they got some two minute drills in there, too, against the Rams. Obviously, they didn't win. But then the very next week, Sunday night football against the Steelers. And then that goes to overtime. Also good experience between him and Shane. And then the next week on Monday night football against the Saints. That goes down to the wire to the last possession. Um, they lose again, obviously, but like these are just scenarios you just really can't simulate in terms of building that chemistry. That's real deal fire. Like, yep. you know, we have to do this on the fly right now, dude. Like, there's no time to hold hands and like pray. Like, we just got to go out there and execute, or you know, or not, you know. And then obviously they smoke uh, the Jags that that next game, and then Russ comes back. But I just think that 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 little month stretch right there is is huge in what I consider to be a close uh, quarterback competition. Uh, I think the other part that'll help Gino is that I think he'll be a little bit better at protecting the football because at least from what I've seen from Drew, I think that he trusts his arm a lot because it's strong as hell. I trust it too. They can get you in trouble. There's a reason why he's already thrown like what, 25 picks or something like that. 20 picks, I think in like three years or in 21 starts, like that's a lot. He Mm -hmm. turns over a lot. Now Gino has more career interceptions than touchdowns. So it's not like he's Mr. Protect the ball either. Um, But I think that when your arm is so strong, it can get you in, in, in danger. I mean, you see it with even some guys like Mahomes or Herbert, their arms are just really strong and they're just really good. But Mahomes throws some shit where you're just like, man, he should not throw that. Yeah. Like, cross your body, fading the other way, or you're a half step late, or you just flinging it. Like Mahomes does that stuff too. Rogers does it. Even Russ does it. Herbert, these strong arms, some of these strong arm guys, like that Josh Allen did it a lot. Like they do it. But those guys are all like consistently good. Whereas Drew is like, dude, if you keep doing that, we're gonna bench you for Teddy Bridgewater. So I just think ultimately that 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 those strong arm guys can get themselves in trouble. And I just think that with a coach like Pete Carroll who values the ball, like you turn it over, you're cut. Basically, that's kind of Pete's 
mindset, that that'll lose you the job if mm-hmm. you're Drew. I think so. I think that's what it'll come down to, both in practice and the preseason when they chart turnover worthy plays or whatever. When it's time to pick a guy, I think I think Gino's uh, chart will look a little cleaner. Yep. Okay, last one, Michael. I know it's early. I know it's beginning of June, but if you were to take a guess right now. What is the re- final record for the Seattle Seahawks in 2022? Uh, I would say they can win anywhere between like four and eight, I think, four and eight games. Uh, I would lean towards the five and 12 uh, mark, just largely because I really just, I mean, I was listening to a podcast with John Snyder this morning, and he was like, the two most important people in the building are the quarterback and the head coach. I was like, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. All right, so was, I would ask John, all right, who's your quarterback? Oh, you don't know yet? Well, that's a problem then. You know, yeah. like you 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 don't have 50% of the most important tandem in, in the building, right? That's that's huge to me. Also, I think the O-line still is a lot of question marks. Not to say that it's guaranteed to be bad. It could be fine. But you got a rookie left tackle who, even if he's a stud, still a rookie. You know, mm-hmm. like I use the example of Dwayne Brown. You know, he was probably the best left tackle Russ has ever had. Dwayne gave up like eight sacks his rookie year with the Texans in 2008. You know, and he turned out to be a great, great player. But he was still a rookie in 08, right? Rooks are rooks. You might have a rookie right tackle in Abe Lucas, or you might have a second-year undrafted guy in Jake Curran. You have a new center in Austin Blythe who hasn't played really since 2020 because he got hurt and then lost his lost the job to Creed Humphrey in Kansas City last year. So we really don't know what we're getting out of him. So that's a lot of uncertainty at the second most important position group on the field behind quarterback. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if your O-line isn't up to snub, Boy, it's easy for you to get boat race on any given week. I mean, it any team can 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 give you the blues if your O line is is not consistent in the run game or the pass game. So when you have uncertainty at the two most important position groups, it's hard for me to project that you will be a successful team. It really just comes down to it. Even if I like the receivers, if I like the tight ends, if I like the safeties, you know, if I like the running backs when healthy, if I like all those position groups. But the, the thing comes down to it is can you score? Can you score? Can you control the game? And if you, I don't know if you can do that with this. This O line is currently constructed, and this quarterback room is currently constructed. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. It's funny. I was uh, like, again, I was researching just to kind of Seattle did last year, just kind of getting back up to speed. They finished ninth in DVOA last year. Like it wasn't. They were analytically like okay. It's, it's it seemed like a lot of one score game misses stuff like that but again there's no russell wilson now so it's kind of a yeah they had a positive point differential too i, I, yeah. I want to say too better than like three teams that made the playoffs i know better than the raiders and the steelers maybe one more but even then like they were better than all the teams that were seven and ten with them yeah they were better than two playoff teams in the raiders and steelers the raiders who won three more games than the seahawks yeah. did despite having a significantly worse point differential i think the raiders are like what minus 55 or something mm-hmm. that's a big difference seahawks are like yeah. plus 10 or something plus nine uh, so I could see that their record, but I could see them have be like a five and 12 record, but then having like a decent point differential next year too, like being yeah. in some games and then just not having the ball bounce your way, not having a throw be made, not having a catch be made, not having a block be picked up on third and mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I don't think they will be like embarrassing. Like the Jags, uh, were a lot of last year, or like the Texans, uh, have been in some recent season or even the jets and the giants, like they'll, they'll be competitive, but. Mm-hmm. Gino's starts last year showed us if you don't have the guy to make the throws in crunch time, you'll be competitive and lose. Yep. You know, that's just kind of what that's why Russell was so great. Russell, like what leads the league in fourth quarter comebacks since uh mm-hmm. in game winning drive since he entered the league in 2012. That matters. Exactly. <laughs> that, that that matters. It's not like a clutch stat necessarily, but like 
it's no coincidence that he's that good in that particular category. And the Seahawks have had what eight uh, winning seasons with him. Like mm-hmm. that, that stuff matters in a game where the margins are so thin. Michael Sean Dugar, writer for the Athletic, Seattle Seahawks writer for the Athletic. Why don't you plug in anything you want the listeners to take a look at before we go? Uh, my Twitter at Mike Dugar is probably the best place to get everything because I keep my I have my author uh, bio of uh, my author link. You know, everything I write at the Athletic is in my Twitter bio. Um, you can find where to listen to the hype with Chris and Mike. That's in my Twitter header. The info is there. And then I always keep our most recent Seahawks man to man podcast pinned to the top of my uh, Twitter page. Mm-hmm. So you can get everything uh, radio show stories and uh, podcasts. All just, just follow me on Twitter or just go to my Twitter. You don't even have to follow me. I don't care. Uh, but that's where you can find everything. Your songs of the day have been hits lately, by the way, big digits. I think you'd believe me the other day. So, if you, if oh yeah, song yeah. choices as well. You're a great follow there. I fell down a Drake Wayne uh, rabbit hole, and they have some some amazing records. Yeah, I know together, yeah. and it's fa- fantastic. Michael Shaw Dugar, thanks so much again, man. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, enjoy the off season, and uh, enjoy next season. Cool. Thanks for.